So John presents to your family clinic with worsening dyspnea for six months. After a thorough history and physical exam, you decide a full set of PFTs would be the appropriate next step to figure out what's going on. He asks, hey doc, what happens during the test? You walk him through the steps of the procedure. You'll be asked to wear loose clothing and remove jewelry or constrictive clothes that can impair your ability to breathe. You should also remove your dentures and empty your bladder before the procedure. No meals within the last four hours, and do not take any bronchodilators the morning of the test. Next, you will sit in a chair with a soft clip on your nose. This is to ensure all breathing is done through your mouth. You will be given a sterile mouthpiece attached to a device known as a spirometer. Please form a tight seal over the mouthpiece. You will first be asked to breathe in and out normally. Then, they will ask you to breathe in as much as you can, and then breathe out as best as you can. Someone will be in the lab with you and carefully monitoring for dizziness, trouble breathing, or any other problems. Let them know if you are experiencing those symptoms or otherwise feeling unwell at any point. This process will repeat at least three times, and you may be given a puffer and retested after several minutes. A full set of spirometry tests takes 30 minutes. For the body plethysmography or the body box test, you will sit in an enclosed see-through box, given a nose clip, and similarly asked to breathe through a mouthpiece. A shutter piece will drop across the breathing tube, and you will be asked to breathe in against the closed tube, similar to panting. The box will measure the change in pressure and change in your chest volume. Thanks, Doc, John says as he prepares for his test tomorrow. This is the second in our two-part episode on approach to pulmonary function testing. In part one of our episode, we went over respiratory mechanics and indications of PFTs. We also discussed components of PFTs, including spirometry, measuring static lung volumes, and DLC. Let's now begin interpreting PFTs. What are the components of a usual PFT report? PFTs most often have the age, sex, ethnicity, BMI, smoking status, and smoking pack year history at the top. Recall from our previous episode that DLCO is adjusted for hemoglobin. Check for a recent hemoglobin included with the report. Different laboratories vary based on how they report results. There is usually three columns with numerical values. One, predictive value, which is the expected value based on the above demographic data, including age, sex, height, and ethnicity. Two, the measured value. And three, the percentage predicted value, which is a ratio of the measured value over the predicted value. Let's go through the sections. Spirometry is usually at the top. The most important components of this section are forced vital capacity, or FVC, forced expiratory volume in one second over FVC, also known as the FEV1 over FVC ratio, and the peak expiratory flow rate. For all components of the PFT, we normally look at the percentage predicted value. However, for the FEV1 over FEC ratio, we will look at the measured value only. This is an important point as the predicted ratio is commonly used and is incorrect. The spirometry section may also have results posted if a bronchodilator was administered. This is important in diagnosing reversible airway obstruction. The next section is lung volumes. Pay special attention to the total lung capacity, residual volume, and the ratio of residual volume over total lung capacity. Finally, diffusion capacity, or DLCO, is reported after adjustment for hemoglobin and sometimes for alveolar volume, which is a surrogate for total lung capacity. We'll focus on DLCO's relationship to hemoglobin in our differential. Standard PFTs will also include flow volume loops and volume time graphs. 
Now let's begin interpreting PFTs. The first step is checking the patient's demographic data. As with any investigation, make sure you are analyzing the right patient. Check the top of the report for age, sex, race, ethnicity, height, smoking history, and current smoking status. This information is used to identify reference values in a matched healthy person and can also provide clinical clues for diagnosis based on risk factors. Remember to ask your patient about medications. In preparation for PFTs, bronchodilators are usually held 4 to 12 hours prior to testing. There are several approaches to interpreting PFTs. We will discuss a general approach, but remember that there are always exceptions to the rule. You should consult a respirologist for assistance if needed, and always interpret reports with the clinical context in mind. Start with the FEV1 over FEC ratio in the spirometry section. Is the ratio reduced? The cutoffs most commonly used in practice is a ratio less than 70% predicted or below the lower limit of normal in adults. This is the most important value in the interpretation of spirometry, as it will indicate if the patient has airflow obstruction. If the FEV1 over FEC ratio is normal, no obstruction is present. If obstruction is present, the predicted value of the FEV1 can be used as a marker of severity, with mild obstruction being above 80% predicted and below 50% predicted, indicating severe obstruction. If the FEV1 over FEC ratio is normal, and the FVC and the FEV1 is normal, then this would indicate a normal spirometry pattern. If the FEV1 over FVC ratio is normal, but the FVC is reduced, this might indicate an underlying restrictive pattern. However, measurements of lung volumes would be necessary in order to confirm this. Low FVC is less than 80% of the predicted value or the lower limit of normal. If both the FEV1 over FVC ratio and FVC are reduced, this may signify a mixed respiratory pattern with obstruction and restriction. Let's approach each of these arms separately. At the end of the episode, we'll also summarize general PFT findings in common diseases like COPD, asthma, interstitial lung disease, and pulmonary vascular disease. If initial analysis shows an obstructive pattern, assess responsiveness to bronchodilators. Reversibility requires a change of 12% and at least 200 mL change in FEV1. Both components must be present to diagnose asthma. If those criteria are not met, then there is irreversible obstruction. Your top differential for this includes COPD, bronchiectasis, and cystic fibrosis. In COPD, the reduction in FEV1 is used for disease severity. Per American Thoracic Society guidelines, FEV1 greater than 80% indicates mild disease, 50 to 79% is moderate, 35 to 49% is severe, and less than 35% is very severe disease. Once an obstructive defect is diagnosed, look at the residual volume and total lung capacity to determine degree of gas trapping and hyperinflation respectively. The normal range is 80 to 120% of the predicted value. Other abnormalities on PFTs that are associated with irreversible obstruction include a late plateau in the volume time graph and prolonged expiratory time. Remember, for patients with obstructive disease, it takes them longer to breathe out. The flow volume loop is scooped or coved, meaning it has a concave appearance on the expiratory loop due to increased airway resistance. Subsequently, the peak expiratory flow rate, or the maximum value on the loop, is also reduced. 
Let's take a moment to talk about airway obstructions. While these are rare, it is important to understand how they appear on PFTs. The flow volume loop is helpful in ruling out an upper airway obstruction such as a tumor or tracheal stenosis as the source of airflow limitation. For variable upper airway obstruction, there's flattening of either the expiratory or inspiratory arm in an intrathoracic or extrathoracic obstruction respectively. In a fixed obstruction, there's blunting of both arms of the loop, giving the shape of a football on its side. Obstructive defects can be diagnosed based on spirometry alone, but full PFTs provide more information. If spirometry does not describe a classical obstructive defect, full pulmonary function testing is recommended with total volumes and DLCO. DLCO can further differentiate obstructive disease. Emphysema and cystic fibrosis will have a low DLCO, whereas asthma may have a normal or high DLCO. Now let's talk about the restrictive pattern. This is when the FVC is low, but the FEV1 over FVC ratio is normal. However, restriction is truly diagnosed using the TLC and requires static lung volumes. Restrictive diseases have two main categories, intraparenchymal, which is interstitial lung disease, and extraparenchymal, which includes muscular causes like myasthenia gravis and polio, structural causes such as severe kyphosis, diaphragmatic hernia and obesity, and pleural diseases that cause thickening and scarring. These processes all reduce the lung's ability to expand. Next, look at the DLCO. Low DLCO indicates an intrinsic lung process like ILD. Normal or high DLCO indicates an extraparenchymal matter. In restrictive diseases, total lung volumes are critical to both diagnose and monitor patients. Remember, in restrictive lung disease, all lung volumes are reduced. Finally, let's complete our interpretation with an overview of diseases that affect DLCO. Low DLCO is defined as less than 70% of predicted. Remember from previous that DLCO is different than spirometry and lung volumes as it measures the ability of alveoli to exchange gases with the bloodstream. In that sense, it is similar to the alveolar arterial gradient. Low DLCO in obstruction is indicative of emphysema or cystic fibrosis. In contrast, elevated DLCO can be indicative of asthma if spirometry shows an obstructive pattern. For restrictive diseases, low DLCO may be the first PFT abnormality in parenchymal disease. If PFTs show restriction, normal DLCO implies an extraparenchymal cause. Isolated low DLCO is seen in pulmonary vascular disease. Other causes of low DLCO include anemia and interstitial processes like pneumonia. Decreased DLCO is graded on severity, with less than 40% being very severe. Etiologies for high DLCO include pulmonary hemorrhage, polycythemia, and a left-to-right cardiac shunt. Let's review a summary of PFD findings based on common diseases, COPD, asthma, interstitial lung disease, and pulmonary vascular disease. In COPD, there is obstruction on spirometry with low FEV1 over FEC ratio. The flow volume loop is scooped or coved in the expiratory loop, and there is reduction in the peak expiratory flow rate. FEV1 is used as a marker for disease severity. Greater than 80% is mild, 50-79% to is moderate, 35 to 49 is severe, and less than 35 is very severe. The volume time graph shows reduced FEV1 and a late plateau. 
Initially, FEV1 is preserved but can decline as gas trapping occurs. Similarly, total lung capacity may be elevated if there is hyperinflation and residual volume is increased with gas trapping. Asthma shows an obstructive defect with reversibility. Pre- and post-bronchodilator spirometry is critical. Post-bronchodilator, there should be both a 12% and 200 mL increase in FEV1 minimum in adults. In asthma, the post-bronchodilator flow volume loop often matches with the normal or reference loop if there is complete reversibility with treatment. If the PFTs are normal but you suspect exercise or allergen-induced asthma, you can do a bronchoprovocation test such as methacholine challenge test. In interstitial lung disease, there is a restrictive pattern on PFTs with low FVC and, more importantly, low TLC. FEV1 is often reduced as well, but the FEV1 over FVC ratio is preserved. However, the first abnormality in pulmonary function testing is often a reduction in DLCO. Low DLCO also brings parenchymal causes of restrictive diseases to the top of your differential. Finally, pulmonary vascular disease is characterized by isolated reduction in DLCO with an otherwise normal PFT. Further diagnostic workup, such as with an echocardiogram or high-resolution CT scan, in addition to a thorough history and physical exam, can help differentiate this from early interstitial lung diseases. Remember to always interpret pulmonary function testing with the patient's presentation. Take a thorough history and detailed physical exam. Ask about a patient's environment, exposures, timeline of symptoms, and any triggers or relieving factors. This will help narrow your differential and indicate further testing, such as with exercise testing or bronchoprovocation if necessary. For our Medicine Minute, let's dive into changes in lung functions that occur in underwater sports. While tissues are nearly incompressible, gases may be compressed and follow Boyle's Law, stating pressure is inversely proportional to volume in a closed container. Barotrauma occurs when ambient pressure changes, but pressure in an unventilated area cannot equilibrate with it. When you hold your breath underwater, your lungs are unventilated. During descent, the gases in the body are compressed due to increasing ambient pressure. The gases are then able to dissolve into the bloodstream and tissues. Subsequently, during ascent, the pressures decrease as you approach the surface and the volume of dissolved gases increases per Boyle's Law. If ascent occurs too rapidly or too much, such as divers who resurface quickly or take air flights soon after, there is a large and rapid decrease in environmental pressure that causes dissolved gases, particularly nitrogen, to form as bubbles, which can cause injury in many areas of your body. For example, rupture of alveoli and pneumothorax, arterial embolism, and air extravasation into tissues. Think of this like opening a can of pop. When you open the can, the air outside has lower pressure than the can. The gradient is so large that the bubbles fizz out. Divers who ascend rapidly and get decompression sickness often experience significant pain that can cause them to double over, hence why this is called bends, more formally known as decompression illness. This is most common in scuba divers who inhale compressed gases. Because you are not inhaling compressed gases and only breath holding during free diving, the risk is much less. Preventative measures include diver education, slow and controlled descent and ascent, and avoiding high altitudes for at least 24 hours after the dive. Alright, that's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode about an approach to PFTs. This episode was written by Dr. Anandidi Das, internal medicine resident, and edited by Dr. Kori Yamashita, respirologist, and Dr. Dresser, clinical pharmacologist and general internist. 
This episode is recorded by Leia Kirianopoulos. Music by Lakshmi Sanremo. The Internet Work Series was created by Allison Lyon and developed by Zara Morali and Leia Kirianopoulos. As always, don't forget to check out our website, www.theinternetwork.com, for associated infographics and resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.